You're listening to The Nature of Photography Show. In this episode, I ramble on about Death Valley. Howdy folks, let's talk about Death Valley. Earlier this year, I had a chance to go and see this amazing place. I had never been there before. My kid, he had a hockey tournament in Las Vegas, and we happened to be there in the winter. I'm like, well, I'm not a big fan of Vegas, but I'm a big fan of what's around Vegas. So I started looking. We saw Death Valley and thought, what better time to visit the desert than in the winter? Because going to the desert in the summer just seems like a very poor idea. And I was right. It was a really good time to go. Death Valley is a place of extremes. It is so massive, I cannot explain how big this place is in any terms that you can understand unless you've been there. But it is a place of extremes. It has the lowest point in North America at a place called Badwater Basin. It is 282 feet below sea level. That's amazing. And it's very strange because 16 miles away, there's peaks that go up to 11,000 feet. So while you're sitting at the lowest point in North America, you can look at these massive peaks. And they're often snow-covered, at least while we were there they were. And that was pretty odd to see. I guess Death Valley is just an odd place. It's the, one of the best ways that I could, I could put it. Unless you've been there, you, it's hard to understand. It has the highest recorded temperatures on Earth and it was recorded in 1913 when it reached 134 degrees Fahrenheit. Now, if you look at the temperatures in the summer times, it reaches 125 degrees pretty regular. So again, this goes back to the maybe not the best place to visit in the summer, although they get a lot of folks in the summer. So I guess as long as you're inside your car and drinking a lot of water, you'll be okay. They get less than two inches of rainfall per year, making it the driest place in North America. Now, what's interesting about that is while we were there, it's when that big winter storm was, was hitting California, and it was butting right up against the mountains there, and it was spilling over a little bit. So it rained a, a decent amount while we were there, which is kind of strange to be driving in the desert, and it's raining everywhere. Uh, in fact, it was uh, quite humorous on a couple of occasions when I, all I wanted to do was get out and photograph Death Valley, and I couldn't because the rain was significant. It was significant enough, actually, that it caused several mudslides across the roads, and they had to close down certain sections. Uh, but, as always, extreme weather usually brings good photographs. It is 3.4 million acres. That is ginormous. That's, that's the word we're going to use for Death Valley is ginormous. It's not the largest one, but it is probably the largest one of absolutely nothing because that's what's in Death Valley. It's really cool, nothing, but that's what's there. So if you're thinking about going, there's only a few places really to stay. There's a place called Oasis at Death Valley. It's the ranch. I call this the one that I could afford. And then the oasis at Death Valley called the Inn. That's the one that we couldn't afford. Now, they are right next to each other. They're both, I don't know about the Inn itself, but I know the ranch is a decent place to say. I, I would consider it a reasonable motel. I wouldn't consider it 
extravagant or anything of that nature, but it was clean. They have ice, they've got a, a mini fridge, all that kind of stuff, so that's okay. And then there's a place called Stovepipe Wells that we didn't know about until we were driving around and we found it. So that might be another place that you could consider, especially if you like the idea of doing the sand dunes because that's right, really, really close to the sand dunes. The, one of the issues with Death Valley is the fact that it is so incredibly remote that you're limited in where you can eat. There's a restaurant at Stovepipe Wells that was pretty decent. We ate there a couple of times. We were only in Death Valley for a few days, like three days, two and a half really. But we ate at the Stovepipe Wells and that was good. But the Oasis at the ranch and the inn, you can eat there, but it is on the very expensive side. We're not talking a little expensive. It is very expensive. So we knew that going in. We brought... We brought bread and sandwich meat and peanut butter and jelly and all kinds of snack foods and stuff like that so that we would have the ability to eat. We also brought a little kettle thing to heat water so you could heat water to make ramen noodles if you wanted. They don't have any microwaves or anything there, so just keep that in mind. Now let's get into what you're actually probably excited about. I know I still am. It's the photography. And let me tell you, this place is absolutely stunning. Anywhere you look, you can find a photograph. And the hard part is trying to figure out where you want to spend your time and what pictures you want to take. I'm going to mention this a couple of more times probably in this, but bring water. Bring water. Have a ton in your car. Have more than you think you need on your person. Stop often. Drink often. Anyway, what kind of equipment do you need to photograph Death Valley? Well, it's nearly 100% landscape destination. While we were there, we saw a coyote, and we were at the visitor center, and we, were, we told them that we saw the coyote, and they were pretty amazed that we saw anything. So keep that in mind. Also, if you're there in the warmer months, it is a location for rattlesnakes, so kind of keep an eye out for those. In the winter months, you don't have to worry about it so much because the colder weather will usually keep them away or at least keep them lethargic enough not to be an issue. But keep your, keep your eyes out if you're there at the warmer months for those little critters. But chances are you won't see anything to photograph like coyotes or anything like that. It's just it was rare to see it. So when you go, keep in mind that you're going pretty much for landscape which is good because you can take your light kit. You don't need the expensive 2.8 lenses for this location. You don't need the big lenses, the long lenses, the ones that are wide open. You don't need any of that stuff for your typical landscape photography. You could use a macro lens, that would be pretty useful, but it's not necessary. Now, if you're doing night photography, that might be a little different. You might want to get those 2.8 or 1.8 lenses or something like that that you need for the night photography. But if you're not doing that, if you're just there for the landscapes in the mornings and day and, and night or the sunsets, then your F4 lenses are going to be great. And actually, the way modern cameras are and as dark as it is out there, if you have an F4 lens and you're trying to do night photography, you're going to be pretty successful. You will need a good tripod, and that's because the winds, at least while we were there, were insane. And we're talking 50 mile an hour sustained winds uh, out on the sand dunes. It was pretty awesome, actually. I, 
I loved that part where you could kind of lean into the wind. But keep that in mind if you've got tripod, then it will help you with stability. Of course, if it's too windy, tripod doesn't really help, but depending on when you're there, and once again, these modern cameras, you can't raise that ISO to, to get what you need. So a good bag, I use the Shimoda Action X50, which is currently my absolute all-time favorite camera bag. It holds everything that I need it to hold, plus a bit more, and it's not heavy, and it's comfortable, and I could carry it around all day, plus it has a water bladder. Again, hydration important in the desert, as it turns out. Filters, I brought them. I didn't use them, but I could definitely see a use case for them, especially if you get lucky enough to get some clouds and you can do long exposures. If the wind's high, of course, that's going to change things because you'll have some buffeting and all that kind of stuff, and that makes the long exposures maybe not the greatest idea, which is the main reason that I left the filters in the bag and didn't get them out to use is because of that wind. I was lucky enough to get some clouds, but again... You got to pick and choose here. So where to go? I am actually not going to recommend any places right now because I'm kind of keeping with the whole nature first principles, which is where you're, you're selective about what you're sharing online to try to keep these places beautiful and pristine and unaffected by people. However, if you contact me directly, I'll be happy to talk to you one-on-one, -on -one, give you some hints and locations and that kind of stuff. With that said, I can recommend a book. The book is called Desert Paradise, The Nature Photographer's Guide to Death Valley National Park by Sarah Marino and Ron Coscarosa. And if I butchered that name, I apologize. That was not my intent. But that's how I read it. With all this said, this place is amazing and you can find photography all day long throughout the mornings, evenings, even during the middle of the day, you can find something to photograph. So even if you don't have a huge list of places you want to visit when you go, you're not going to have any trouble at all finding places to photograph. But of course, you can always stop at the visitor center. You can ask them about locations. You can look at the book that I recommended. You can do your research online. You can put in the effort to find these places. Or like I said, you can call me directly, send me an email. I'll be happy to answer any questions that you have. So pointers for the shooting locations. You got to take your time. Unless the light is doing something insane, you're going to have the time. And the reason I say that you need to take your time is because it can be absolutely overwhelming, the photographic opportunities in Death Valley. When you're out there and you got your camera and you're setting up and you're trying to take a picture, it's this picture and this picture and this picture. And then if you're like me on occasion, I'll take 400 pictures of the same exact composition for some reason. But I, I did that. Of course I did that this time. I always do that. But I tried to get up and move took my time, tried to find good compositions, tried to find good foreground elements. I took a lot of focus stacking because I was using a long lens, like a 70 to 200 for a lot of this to be able to bring into the scene everything that you need to bring in or that you want to bring in. And to do that, sometimes you don't have the depth of field that you have on the wider angles. So I did a lot of focus stacking, which means I came home with a bunch of images, but really two-thirds more than I really needed. 
In most instances, I don't think I had to focus stack, but it's always good to have it. And actually, I think I failed to mention this when I was talking about what gear you need. I would definitely recommend the 24 to 70 will be good. If you've got a 14 to 24, that's that's pretty decent, or 14 to 30. The 70 to 200 is absolutely necessary, I think, for this place. And the reason why is just as I said, it's so vast, it's so big, and that 70 to 200 or even a 100 to 400, if you happen to have one, would be great to be able to compress the scene, to be able to pick out vignettes in this massive landscape, and you can shoot and shoot and shoot and shoot. So don't think that you need only wide angle for this. You don't have to do that. You can, a 70 to 300, for example, would be a great lens for this location, and you don't need those wide open apertures, so you still don't need the big, huge lenses. But if you're an Icon person or a Canon person or Sony person, you happen to have those 200 to 500s or 100 to 400s or whatever, those will be great. So do your scouting in the middle of the day. As we know, sunrise and sunset, those golden hours, blue hour, all of those are wonderful in the desert. And for photography in general, those are your best times to photograph. So use the middle of the day to do your scouting. Go to stovepipe wells, have some food, do a little picnic on the side of the road, enjoy yourself. It's, it's amazing. I think I've said amazing so much that it's lost all meaning at this point, but that's okay. If you haven't been there, you don't understand. If you have, you absolutely know what I'm talking about. So I want to end. It's not the final thought, but I want to talk about safety because this is the desert. It's dry. It's barren. There's nothing there. There's no cell service through most of the park. And places like the sand dunes, well, you can get confused pretty easy. And then you find yourself not being able to find your vehicle and then it gets dark and now you, you don't have any bearings and you're lost in the desert at night and I can't think of anything worse. So for me, I used an analog compass. So that I took a compass bearing when I left my vehicle and would occasionally check to make sure that I had my bearings right and I'm walking in approximately the same direction and that way I would know generally the direction to leave if I happened to be there after sunset and it got dark and I didn't have any visual reference points. You can use a handheld GPS. I would absolutely recommend a handheld GPS. I didn't have one. I wish I had had one. But kind of always consider that analog compass as a backup in case your batteries die on your GPS. That would kind of ruin your day. If you're not a hiker, you can probably do most of this exploration in your vehicle and it's not really going to be an issue. For me, I tend to want to know what's over the next ridge, around the next bend, over the next sand dune, and I'll spend hours, I'll say, you know, I'll, I'll go out there for just a few minutes, 20 minutes, and then it can be three and four hours later and I'm still walking around aimlessly trying to find a good photograph. So with the hydration, stop as you're moving, stop and hydrate. I recommend starting to hydrate the day before. Just start drinking a little more water than you would normally the day before, and that will help you stay hydrated. And then stop often, take those breaks. It's not a hard place to walk in most instances. It's, it's pretty easy to get around, but stop often and take that extra time to make sure you're hydrated. All right, my final thought, Death Valley is absolutely stunning. It should be on every photographer's list, and if it's not, put it there if you've never been. If you have been, it's probably still there. I know I would love to go back. And it's very difficult to explain the vast nothingness of Death Valley. It's just wide open, 
nothing, and it is awesome. For the time of year, I would say winter, we were at the visitor center, and they said it can get really, really busy, but the best time to come was the few weeks following the winter holidays of Christmas and New Year's. So if you can find the time to get there then, we didn't encounter any crowds at all. We had the whole place, it seemed like, to ourselves sometimes. But like I said, the visitor center said it can get insanely busy. So pick your poison and you can go when everybody else goes or you can try to find that sweet spot right after the holidays and go and not be there with anyone else, which that's kind of what I always like when I go to any location is to not have a ton of people around me. All right. Well, I think I've rambled on alone for a long time about Death Valley. If you have any questions about it, feel free to email me. I'll be happy to talk to you. I didn't get to spend a ton of time there, only two and a half days. I would love to go spend a week or two weeks in Death Valley, but here we are. I, you, I got to photograph what I could photograph, and it did not disappoint. So if you have any questions, shoot me an email. And while you're at it, go on over to the website. If you go to the website, eldridgephoto.com, you can find my email there, which is real easy. It's jason at eldridgephoto.com. And you can also sign up for the newsletter. I am not an individual that sends out a ton of uh, newsletters. In fact, I don't think I've sent one out in a long time. But if I have your information, then when I send them out, you can see what I'm doing or what's going on in the world of photography, or at least my world of photography. All right, I'm done rambling. This is the end of the podcast, and you know what I'm going to say. Get off the couch, grab your camera, escape, explore, and create. <laughs>